Jesus. Amen. You guys can go ahead and grab a seat. All right, church. Well, it is my privilege, as always, to be leading you in the preaching of God's Word this Sunday. I would encourage you to go ahead and make sure you have a Bible or a scripture journal in front of you. Uh, We are going to be in the book of Philippians, as we have been for some time. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to be picking it up in verse 10. Uh, a little bit, we're going to backtrack just a little bit from last week, and then, but our main text will be 12 through 16, but make sure that you have your finger starting at verse 10. If you're using one of those Black Pew Bibles around the room, that's going to be on page 981, 981. Now, as you are turning there, I want to add to a story that I began to tell you a few weeks back. And basically, it's just giving you a little bit of insight to how I was raised. What, was it, what did it mean for me and my siblings to basically grow up in the house that we did? Right? What does it mean for us to, to have the last name work go? Right? What did that entail? Now, there was a lot of good things, a lot of good expectations that were put upon us. And there were certain things, certain family rhythms in which we just simply did. They weren't questioned. They were just a part of the rhythm of our lives. A couple of these were Saturday mornings. It was hot tub time as a family. We would all wake up and we would get into the hot tub, all six of us, and basically just share about the week and just take a few hours to basically uh, just relax before we got on with the rest of our weekend. If, there, if we were watching football, and in particular the Green Bay Packers play, we would be eating two things, bratwurst and chili cheese dip, just a, a part of what it meant to watch football in my family. And as I mentioned to you in the past, if the phone rang, uh, me and my siblings would have to answer it a certain way. Now, those were some of the rhythms that we did as a family. And... And part of the rhythms of just being a family was also chores, right? Things going on inside uh, just the home or outside the home, things that we needed to do. And there was also a certain expectation or motivation, maybe I should say, of how we were to do those chores around the house. And I would say that it was encapsulated by a phrase that my dad would say to us. And he would say this in particular when he didn't think that our performance was up to par a little bit. And this is what he would say. He would say, do it like you want to, not like you have to. And he would say that all the time. Do it like you want to and not like you have to. Now, I'll be honest, I didn't really understand what that meant for a long time. In fact, my dad was the king of telling me things that I didn't really quite understand uh, for a while. And I'm hesitant to share this one, but I'm going to go ahead and say it because maybe you guys can fill me in on what this means, is my dad would also say, and this is, by the way, I have nothing to do with the text that we're about to read. Um, He would say, ducks don't fart in shallow ponds. I don't know what that means to this day. So if you do, let me know. But that phrase, do it like you want to and not like you have to, has really just been seared into my conscience when it comes to simply doing things, taking responsibility. Now, here's what my dad was trying to say. 
Because I don't think that my dad was saying, hey, you need to look deep inside yourself and find some kind of intrinsic wanting to do the task at hand, right? He was not saying, hey, Luke, you need to really want to go out in the yard and pick up the dog on from this week. That's not what he was saying. But he was saying that you need to have a desire that trumps maybe the, the action at hand. Right? That you, we need to have goals that go beyond the immediate task at hand. And we know this. Because if you don't have a, an overarching goal of why you do the things you do, in particular when it's difficult things that you have to do, difficult responsibilities, or maybe just mundane tasks, if you don't have an, an a ultimate motivation for that, you probably won't do them. Or if you do do them, you kind of do it half-hearted. You kind of go through the motions. And everybody will kind of be able to pick up on that. And I would say when it comes to the Christian life, church, I think we can get into that same routine. That there are things that we do begrudgingly. But in the words of my father, he would want us to do the Christian life because we want to. Not because we have to. And I believe in our text this morning, in chapter 3, Paul is going to be encouraging the church in Philippi to know the ultimate goal, to press on to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And I believe we have a lot to learn from those words of him. So if you guys wouldn't mind, let's go ahead and take another moment of prayer. Just simply, I want to pray for you and you're receiving of the word of God this morning. I would ask as I'm doing that, would you pray for me in the preaching of God's word this morning? Let's pray for each other. Well, Father, I want to thank you for all the ways that we can know you through your word. God, I pray for our text this morning. I pray for everybody in this room and and maybe even those listening online. That, God, that you would just illuminate the text. Allow us to see exactly what you want us to learn and grow from it. Knowing that Paul is going to be simply laying out what the ultimate goal for every Christian is. The ultimate goal of pressing on. Holding on to you. And God, I also want to pray for our kiddos, for our teachers. As even the little hearts in this building are being molded and taught of what it means to trust you, Lord, with all. And they would simply join us in our pursuit of knowing and following you, Jesus, and loving you and understanding you more when we walk out of this building than when we first walked in. And it's to that endeavor we need you desperately. So in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So hopefully you guys have found Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. I'm going to go ahead and read through verse 16. This is the word of God. It says, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his, his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward, to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. 
And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Church, that is the word of the Lord. Yeah, thanks be to God. We're thankful for God's word. Now, as I mentioned, we did kind of walk through quickly verses 10 through 11 in our time last Lord's Day. But I want to remind you what we see in verses 10 through 11, because they're really important, and I I want to highlight them because it really sets up everything which Paul is going in the following verses. Because I believe that Paul is saying in verse 10 and 11 is really his essential, his whole goal, his whole mantra of the Christian life. What he wants to give his life to as a Christian can be summed up in that sentence. And to remind you that Paul is coming off the heels of, of just talking and telling the church of why he does what he does. And so in verse 10, he's saying that I, my goal in life is that I may know him, that I may know Christ, that I may know the power of his resurrection, that I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And is that our goal? Is that the goal of every Christian? I, I believe so. I believe that if, if we want to, to, to heed the words of the Apostle Paul this morning, that we would highlight verse 10 and saying, I want this to be true of me. I want this to be true of me. Because my goal as a Christian is not to be good enough. Because we never could be. It's not to be morally superior to others. It's not to just have Christianity be, you know, some kind of religious pathway that seems to suit us better than others. No, for every Christian, the goal of the Christian life, the reason why people become Christians, the reason why people follow Christ after becoming Christians is the the goal of knowing him, knowing his power, knowing what he has done and will continue to do. Because truthfully, church, when you are focused on that thing, when you are focused on knowing Christ as your ultimate goal of being a a saved human, right, of being redeemed by the blood of Christ, all those other goals that you have in life, like maybe being a godly spouse or being a godly parent or maybe uh, being a great employee or maybe helping be a part of, of, of wanting to change the fabric of a broken, sinful world and see the, the gospel light pierce through, that can all happen flowing out of knowing Christ. So when you aim to know Christ, you're going to get all those other things. I can assure you. And that's why Paul is saying, that's my goal. That's my goal. And then in verse 11, he says, by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That he wants to reach the end. Glorification, if you will where he will finally be reunited with his resurrected body and he will spend all eternity with Christ. No more pain, no more tears, no more sin. He's looking forward to that. But as Paul basically lays out that goal in verses 12 through 16 now, he's going to be simply explaining what he means by that. Maybe giving some clarification, if you will. Simply put... Paul says in verse 12, let me read it for us. It says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, 
but I press on to make it my own. He's saying, I haven't arrived. I'm not done. There's still this aspect of my goal in life that I have not reached yet. And I won't reach it until Jesus returns. And this is really important for us to understand that Paul is saying, I have not reached the end of my Christian growth, my Christian sanctification. Because there was a false teaching going around that if you basically walked with Christ long enough, right, if you did enough things, if you were walking in the Spirit all the time, that you would be sinless, that you would reach perfection on this side of eternity. There was false teachers saying that you could be perfect. You could be perfect right now. It's a false teaching that unfortunately is still present today. That if later this afternoon, if you maybe turn on a TV preacher or maybe even look up some of the very influential pastors in the United States, there's a good chance that you might hear that same message being preached. A guy is standing in a pulpit like this saying that, I haven't sinned in three years. I don't know what you guys are doing. Certainly not at the level that I am. So let me tell you how to get there with a small fee. You see, church, the human heart has been the same. And really false teachings just kind of go in cycles throughout human history. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Perfection, as much as we want it, as much as we desire it, as much as we desire that glorification, we have not and will not get there today. But we have a goal to get there, and we have things to do now. And so Paul says, even later on, he reemphasizes in verse 13. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. I have... I want you to know I'm not telling you this because I have made it. I'm not laying out the goal because I have done it. See, Paul knows that he wants to know Christ more. He knows that he wants to be more faithful. He wants to desire Christ more. And as you see, this pressing goal that Paul is, I think, encouraging us to look at this morning is that pressing goal is an active commitment to continue walking with Christ. So you see, just because Paul had some monumental wins in his walk with Christ, he has seen Jesus do some wonderful things in his life. Paul, for not one second, says, I've seen it all, or there's nothing else that I can learn about Jesus. There's nothing more that I can, there's not anything more that I can get from him. In fact, if you were actually to read through the progression of how Paul um, talked about himself throughout his letters, you will see that actually the longer that you walk with Christ, right, the more that you pursue him, the more that you see him and knowing him and his power as the goal, you're actually going to know more about yourself. And Paul explains this in three different texts. I'm not going to have you turn there. They'll be up on the screen. But basically three texts that shows the progression of how Paul talked about himself. In 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about how he is the least of the apostles. Out of all the apostles, he's saying, you know what, I'm actually the lowest one of them. And then about five years later, writing to the church in Ephesus... He refers to himself as the least of the saints. 
He's actually, you know what? When it comes to every Christian, I'm actually the least of them. The least of them. And then, in one of his last letters that he writes to the church before his execution in 1 Timothy, he considers himself the foremost of all sinners. The chief of sinners. That's the progression of Paul. Paul not for one second ever believes that he has arrived. But the more he walks with Christ, the more he knows he needs Christ. The more he sees his holiness and his perfection, he realizes, I'm not there yet. There are things in me that I don't trust him in. There are things in me that I still want to be more faithful to him in. And he's saying, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the worst sinner in the room. Because he knows his own heart better than others. Paul understood what it meant to be honest with who you are. That he was okay not being okay, realizing his sinfulness, but not letting it stop him from taking steps of repentance and trust and faithfulness into following Christ and knowing him more and more, church. What an encouragement that is, right? One of the greatest pastors and church planters and apostles to ever walk this earth is saying, I need more of Christ. And Christ is faithful to give me more and more of him. In fact, he actually reminds us of this motivation at the end of verse 12. Where he says, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. See, I press on towards the goal because Christ Jesus has made me his own. You see what Paul did there? He reminded every single one of us, he reminded himself, he reminded the church in Philippi of why we do the things we do. He reminded us that we love him not so Jesus would love us, but we love him because he loves us, because he has made us his own. So we walk and we pursue him as a son or daughter in the faith, not to get into the family, but because we are in the family. Jesus Christ has made us his own. He has adopted us. He has died for us. He has paid the penalty for us. So now we can live for him, not begrudgingly, right? Not because we have to, but because we want to. We want to. Paul even uses the language. He doesn't quite get it here in our English translation, but it's the language of that, that Jesus has seized him by making him his own. Has basically wrapped his arms and said, you are mine, which is comforting. When we realize who we are outside of Christ. The Bible paints a picture that we're not neutral. We're actually enemies of God. Marching as fast as possible to the depths of hell. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Although you deserve to get there, I'm going to seize you. I'm going to stop you. I'm going to wrap my arms around you and say, no, 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 you are mine now. You're going to be part of my family. And it's all because of what he has done. And so we change our trajectory Because our hearts have been changed by him. So now we actually want to follow him because because of what he has done. Because he has made us his own. And so if you're not a Christian this morning, or maybe you're not sure where you're at, this is what we believe as Christians. And it's really important that you understand that God is not waiting for you to come to him. God is not waiting for you to clean up your act and present some kind of say, aren't I worthy to be chosen? Aren't I worthy to be a Christian? That never happens. But in fact, what the Christian life, what the word of God teaches us is that despite our sin, despite our rebellion, even while we are still enemies of the cross, 
Jesus died for us. And by believing and trusting that he went first, understanding that he went on the cross and died for your sins while you were still an enemy of his, the Bible says, in that moment, then you are saved. Then, God says, you are mine. I have made you my own. And I want you to know that. Regardless of where you're at this morning, and if you are not a Christian, I, would, I thank you for being here. I know it could be uh, a lot of encouragement to come into a place like this when you're not sure what you believe. But God does not wait for you to clean up your act. But he comes to you and he reveals himself to you. And I pray that maybe that's happening this morning that you are realizing who this Jesus actually is and what he has done, and that you would begin the race of pressing on, living for him, wanting to know him because Jesus Christ has made you his own. I know for me, I can't get over that. I can't get over it. In fact, there's one pastor who puts it this way. He says, our pursuit of Christ is originated by Christ, it's motivated by Christ, and it's propelled by Christ. That's good news to guys like me, that it's all about him. So Paul is saying, as he's been saying throughout this whole letter, don't abandon the gospel. Don't get over the fact that Jesus has done what he has done for you. It is the motivation. It is the goal that, that drives everything that you do. And you press on, knowing that you can always get more of the gospel, that you never outmature the gospel, that there's never going to be a Sunday, Christian, that you don't need to be reminded about what Jesus has done. It's just not going to happen. In the same way as just because you maybe have heard your spouse say, I love you a thousand times, doesn't mean that you want to hear it every single day. That's what we get in the gospel. In fact, if you were to look at verse 15, jump down there in your Bibles. Paul instructs his church that it's actually mature to think this way. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. That your maturity, in the eyes of Paul, your maturity as a Christian is evidenced by the way that you view you needing Christ or not. The way in which you pursue Christ, what is your goal? In the way that do you feel like you have finished already, that you don't need him anymore, or that the gospel is for some other people? Maybe they get into the Christian faith, but it's not for me. I've been walking with Jesus for 50 years. It's not for me. But what Paul was saying, no, no, no. Actually, the most mature thing that you can do as a Christian is have a heart that always wants to grow, always wants to press on, always wants to know more of him. Always wanting your heart to look more like the heart of Christ. And if it isn't, and if it is not, then that could be evidence that you're not as mature as you think you are. You see, we can't settle. We can't settle just because maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a long time or you've been in church for a long time. You can't settle of where you have reached your maturity. Maturity is not gauged by how long you've been in the church. It's gauged on, on where your heart is towards Christ. In fact, and this might be tough to hear for some, but I feel like it's necessary to say it, that it's possible 
that you can be less mature in your faith today than when you first became a Christian. That you could be less mature today than when you first became a Christian. Because maybe if you're like me, knowing that when you first understood the gospel, when you first believed in Christ, man, you knew that you wanted more of him. Right? You knew that you wanted to press into him, that you wanted to understand the power of his resurrection. You wanted to suffer for Christ's sake if it meant that you got more of him. And I have to ask myself, if that's what biblical maturity looks like, am I more mature today than I was at 19 years old? So we need to ask ourselves, are we pressing on towards the goal in which the Apostle Paul is giving every Christian? Are we pressing on to the goal, the prize, in which he says in verse 14, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? Are we wanting more of him? Right? That's where we're going. That's the upward call. It's focused on him. It's wanting more of him. Right? It's wanting to repent of sin more. It's wanting to fight against temptation more. It's wanting to put false idols of comfort or false idols of security to death because in doing so, you get more of him. You want to live not for this world, but for the world to come. And Paul is saying that is what maturity looks like. Now, maybe you are sitting right now going, uh-oh, this is not good. This is, this is kind of depressing a little bit. I'm not as, thinking, maybe I'm not as mature as I thought I was when I came into this building this morning. Well, maybe that's the Holy Spirit at work in your life, but let me encourage you on something that which Paul said at the beginning of this letter. When he's writing to the church in Philippi, and he says in verse 6 that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So if God has began a good work in maturing you, he's going to carry that out. And his word is a means in which I think he's reminding us, us of that today. Paul even makes a mark in verse 15, and he says, <laughs> I love this. He says, after talking about maturity, he says, and if anything, if, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. So he's saying, hey, if you disagree with me on that, if you disagree with me on what biblical maturity looks like, I'm going to let that be to God. I can't change your heart. I can't remove any pride or, or self-attestation that may be dwelling within you. But I know someone who can, God himself. And so I'm going to kind of just give you over to him and let God know, like, we all need help in this. And God is faithful to reveal this to us in his own timing. You see, it's all from him and it's all for him. Now, lastly... I want to take a look at verse 13 a little bit more. Because in, this, in verse 13 is where Paul encourages the church to press on. How do you actually press on towards this goal? How do you actually have that right motivation and maturity? And what do you do then? Right? How, do you, how do you move in the direction that you want to move? Look at it with me when he says, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies Ahead. So one thing that looks like two, but they go hand in hand, that you forget what lies behind and you move toward what lies ahead. Now here, the Apostle Paul is using athletic language. 
when he's saying that you, you, you forget what lies behind. You're, you're straining towards what lies ahead. Much like a marathon runner, right, who, who's not looking back to see where they're at in the race, or they're not simply stopping and talking to somebody about what mile two looked like while the race was still going on, right? They are pressing on to what lies ahead. They are straining, right? And Paul isn't saying that we don't, that doesn't mean as a Christian you don't remember certain things. The Bible is full of remembering your past and remembering what God has done for you. But remember, in the context in which Paul is writing in, he's just talked about all of those achievements that he used to put his trust in, right? All those things in the flesh he used to find his identity in, his, right, his resume. He's saying, I forget about that. I put that behind me and I focus my attention on what lies ahead and I strain for it. I strain for what lies ahead. Straining is that word that, I don't think it takes too much explanation. It means just to give it all that you got. It means that it's not supposed to be easy, right? That there's going to be difficulty. There's going to be obstacles to that. To strain is active. It means knowing that it's hard, you push on. Because this life is not our home. And therefore, we pursue Christ with all that we got. With all that we got. And we try to finish the race that has been set before us. Now, I don't know if you guys watched the Summer Olympics this, this past summer. Um, I'm a big Summer Olympics fan. Not because I actually do any of those events or have ever done any of those events, um, such as swimming or running or everything else they do, especially not gymnastics. Uh, <clears throat> but I do love the Summer Olympics. And so whenever they're, they're on, I try to turn on the TV to see what events are going on so I can catch, you know, some final races. And there was one particular time, actually Justin was with me, that I wanted to turn on and see what the Summer Olympics was doing. And the only event that was being aired at the time was the marathon. Now, a couple of things. One, might not be a surprise to you, I'm not a big runner. Not a big runner. Never have been. Don't assume I ever will be. But God's not done with me yet. I'm not a runner, and watching a marathon is rather boring, right? It's not very good television until the very end, right? Until those last few miles, right, when those runners are hitting the pavement and you can see their focus, you can see them kind of level up and saying, I have to finish this race. And what every single runner in those last few miles they do is they get laser-focused, They get laser focused. And there was actually one runner that I was really curious to see how she did. It was an American runner named Molly Seidel. She was uh, a runner out of Wisconsin. And she was running at this time. She was in bronze. She was in bronze position. And for an American runner, this was actually a really good place to be. Right? There was a few others from Kenya that were way ahead of her. um, And they seemed to dominate the event. But an American runner who could get on the podium was a really big deal. That does not happen much in Olympic history. And so we're watching this Molly run. In the last few miles, you know what she never did? She never looked back. She not once looked back. And you know what you could tell on her face is that it was hard, that she was straining. And I didn't even realize this until I was uh, researching her this week. Is this was actually only, the, I think, the fifth marathon she had ever done in her life on the world's biggest stage, a chance to get on the podium. She gave it all that she had, never looking back, straining to what she hoped 
would be a podium or a medal. And she did. She won the bronze medal. And here's the thing that I find very interesting for myself. She didn't know what the end looked like, but yet she gave it her all. As Christians, we actually know what the end looks like. And so we get to strain knowing we're going to get on the podium because of Christ. Right? We're going to be able to get into all the places where we want to get to because Jesus has actually gone before us. He's run the race ahead of us. He has secured our position in him. The book of Hebrews actually says this. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It's a church. We look forward because we know what's ahead. We press on. We strain to what lies ahead. And it's not a mystery for us. It's the final exaltation and glorification that we have in Christ. And at the end of the day, when that day comes, we get Jesus. He's the goal. We get him in full glory. Right? And any amount of strain, any amount of hardship that we had to walk through in order to see him face to face will be absolutely worth it, church. Absolutely worth it. We get to see him face to face. And we get to see his power perfectly. Perfectly. Or as Paul says in verse 16, that we get to hold true to what we have attained. Hold true to what we have attained, and we have attained the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And what Paul is saying, we get to hold on to the greatest thing that we could ever be given, and that's the grace of God. It's not going to be taken back, right? There's not a, if, I, if I don't do enough, then maybe Jesus will change his mind on me later on. No, for every Christian, as you press on, as you want to know him more, you will get him. It's a promise. You're going to be able to hold, hold to what is true because it was given to you. It wasn't earned by you. It was earned by somebody else. And even in, not in full, but certainly in part, we have Jesus now because he has made us his own. He gets all of us and we get to experience a whole lot of him, but there's still aspects of him that we're waiting that future glorification to finally behold and understand But church, let me encourage you. You have assurance now to run that race. That you will not ultimately fall away, Christian. That you get to run the race because Jesus has made you his own and has given you that new heart. And so we press on because Jesus has made us his own. And by the way, I don't think this is, Paul is talking about this in just an individualistic sense. Right? Because we tend to look at it that way. Like, how do I press on, right? How do I uh, try to know Christ more? And certainly that's true, right? Every single one of us is held responsible for that. But notice Paul is writing to who? He's writing to the church, right? To the people of God, saying that you all, 
We all need to do this. And I find that encouraging because we get to experience that in all kinds of different ways. And so let me, let me speak to a, a certain group here, the older saints in the room. Now, I'll let you define what's older in the room. I would say that you would probably put me in the younger category if there's just older and younger lines somewhere in here. But let me speak to the older saints that are in the room, the older saints in the room. What I am asking and encouraging you to do is to press on to the goal in which Christ Jesus has given you. To press on in pursuing Christ and knowing him more, regardless of how long you've been doing it. Because there's guys like myself, there's men and women in this room who are are really at the early stages of that race. And we look to you. We look to the, and see the race that you have been running and seeing you pressing on to Christ. And it encourages me so much that despite hardship, right, despite maybe losing a son or losing a spouse or seeing a lot of hardship, a lot of sickness come your way, you're sitting here today, you stand with us and sing because you know he's worth it despite all of that has gone on in your life. And there's people like me who are paying attention saying, my goodness, how encouraging that is. I think it's one of the most encouraging things about being a part of this church is to seeing you older saints simply pursue Christ all the more and press on to the goal in which he has given you. And as your pastor, I want to simply say thank you for doing that. Thank you for letting me be a part of that. And thank you for allowing me just to to see what it looks like in real time, in real place, to press on to that goal. Because I know it's tough. I know that there's struggles. You've shared those with me, right? I know that the world seems to be spinning out of control, right? There's things going on right now that you've never had to deal with, right, in your 60, 70 years on this planet. But yet you find yourself dealing with those now. And I want to encourage you, press on. Keep making the goal that God has given us, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Keep pursuing him. Letting us follow in those footsteps as you follow Christ. And so we all strive to forget what lies behind. We strain forward to what lies ahead. We look forward to that new world. We look forward to that ultimate glorification. And we let it impact everything which we do today. Now, before I close, um, I have one more just quote I want to share with you. It's from C.S. Lewis. And I think it's a really helpful quote for us to look at. And I'm just going to read it for us, and then I'm going to close in prayer. He says, if you read history, you will find that Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven, and you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. So church, we press on. Let's go ahead and pray. Well, Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for all the ways that we get to know you, that we get to experience you, that you have made us your own, not because of what we have done, but because of what you have done. 
And we simply want that to be the motivation for the rest of our lives in our pursuit in following you. That we would never get content unless you bring us home, that we have more to learn. God, I pray that you would just take the words and the truth of these scriptures and write them on our hearts this morning. And what a gift that is. So, Lord, it's in your mighty and ultimate name we pray in Jesus. Amen. Amen.